Please join me now in the prayer for God to illumine our hearts and minds. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Listen to God's word for us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading today is a familiar one to many of us, a passage that has provided comfort to God's people for generations. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The word of the Lord. After 15 long months of traveling upstream along the Missouri River, Meriwether Lewis thought, he thought he had finally found what he had long been looking for, a water route to the Pacific Ocean. From the small spring that was the source of the Missouri River, Lewis believed, he believed that if he took his crew up the gentle slope before him with their canoes on their backs, they would then be able to ride the stream's current all the way down to the Pacific. Lewis thought he had arrived to the place he'd been longing to go, but instead, when Lewis's party reached the top of the slope, they saw something that proved everything people thought they knew about the geography of Western North America was utterly and completely wrong. Instead of a gentle river running down to the Pacific, they saw miles and miles of snow-covered mountains. This was no northwest passage or a gently flowing stream. 
This was a range of mountains unlike anything the men had ever seen. In his book, Canoeing the Mountains, Todd Bolslinger writes, at that moment, everything Meriwether Lewis assumed about his journey changed. He was planning on exploring the new world by boat. He was, after all, a river explorer. His men planned on rowing, and they thought the hardest part was behind them. But in truth, he writes, everything they had accomplished was only a prelude to what was in front of them. Everything they had accomplished was only a prelude to what was in front of them. Many theologians of varying traditions are commenting about this unique time we find ourselves in, this COVID-19 reality. And one of my favorite theologians, Father Richard Rohr, has taken this opportunity to remind us that what we are experiencing is what theologians like to call a liminal space, a time in between the familiar and the unknown, a time when our old world is left behind and the future before us is unknown. Now, sometimes in life we choose, we consciously choose to be in a liminal space, like when we leave a job or move or find a new home or end a long relationship. But sometimes we, we fall into a liminal space after being diagnosed with an illness or experiencing a loss or coming into a time of financial uncertainty. But this time, this time it's different. It's not often, perhaps once a century maybe, when an entire world finds itself betwixt and between, between what is known and what is unknown, between what is familiar and what is unfamiliar, between what was lost and what is yet to be. And yet here we are, together. And as challenging and scary and anxiety-producing as this time in between, this liminal space can be, within it lies an opportunity, an opportunity for God to do something utterly amazing. For a liminal space is a space where genuine newness can actually begin in ourselves, in our church, in our nation, and in our world. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Now, more than ever, we know how little we control, how little we know, and how powerless we really are. This is our 40 years in the wilderness. This is our exile. This is our three days in the tomb. This is our time when all we can do is trust in the grace and mercy of God. Several years ago, I decided one of my ministry objectives needed to be getting people into their midlife crisis as soon as humanly possible. Rather than helping young people avoid the difficult questions of middle age, it was my responsibility, I felt, to shepherd them into a time of questioning and doubt so they could figure out what matters as soon as possible. Imagine what a 30-year-old could accomplish 
with the wisdom of someone twice her age. I came to this belief because of people like Kathy. I met Kathy in the first congregation I served. As a young child, Kathy was diagnosed with a genetic disorder that stunted her growth and drastically limited what her body was able to do. Kathy had suffered more and lost more and struggled more by the age of 20 than most people do in a lifetime. She was forced to come to terms with all that was not possible at a time in a person's life when most young people are consumed with impossible dreams. And yet Kathy, from whom so much had been taken away, was more alive, more joyful than anyone else in that church. She had found her passion in medicine, studying genetic disorders in children. She had found her true love, falling in love with the man who had his own medical issues from his past. And together they had managed to create a beautiful family, adopting children with genetic challenges of their own. Kathy shared with me in conversations that she spent much of her teenage years in a liminal space where she grieved all that would not be possible for her and where she struggled to imagine what her life would be like post-diagnosis. It was a very difficult time for her. But it was also a time she shared with me, a time where she discovered a truth that changed her life forever. With God at her side, she had everything she would ever need to live a life of joy and purpose and peace. Psalm 23 is something we often associate with comfort and with peace, which is really interesting because if you read the psalm closely, Psalm 23 is a brutally honest text. Yes, the psalmist reminds us there are times of still waters and green pastures, but the psalmist does not hold back. There are also dark valleys coming up and the constant presence of evil. There's a table set for us, true, but it's also set for our enemies with whom we will dine. The psalm even alludes to death, our death, a death that while not an end of our journey, is an end to life as we know it here on earth. Psalm 23 is an honest depiction of a life lived with God. But it's also worth noting its place in the larger book of Psalms, in the Psalter, because Psalm 23 is preceded by a psalm that begins with these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I wonder, I wonder if it's in that liminal space, that space between my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and the promises of the good shepherd. I wonder if it's that space between Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 where we need to sit and stay a while so the Psalter can speak to us, to speak to the deepest longings of our hearts. At this moment in history, I think many of us can identify with Meriwether Lewis when he stood before a range of mountains with a canoe on his back. 
in this strange, odd time of isolation and separation, we know what it's like to prepare for one kind of journey only to be asked to take another. We know what it is like to have our world pulled right out from under us. We know what it's like to have to recalibrate our expectations on the fly. We know what it's like to stand between two worlds, between two pastors, between two understandings of church as we know it. Now, whenever I find myself bewildered, which is quite often, bewildered by my circumstance, whether self-inflicted or dropped upon me, in my better moments, I try to figure out what is God up to here and now? What purpose might God be weaving out of this tragedy, out of this circumstance, out of this unexpected moment? True, no one can know the purposes or will of God completely, but I wonder if in this time betwixt and between, I wonder if God is inviting us, encouraging us, longing us, drawing us to lean in and ask big questions and dig a little deeper so we might rediscover why we started following the Good Shepherd in the first place. Why do you do this? Why do you give your time and energy and your resources to the church? Why do you make space for spiritual practices? On a beautiful day like today, why are you sitting at home listening to this service? Why do you seek to follow Christ? There are likely many good, honest answers to these questions. But if we boil it all down and strip it all away, I believe... Deep down, we engage in the practice, we make time for the community, we seek to walk in Christ's footsteps because what we want more than anything is to know and be known by God. What our heart desires is communion with our Creator. As uncomfortable as you may be because of this pandemic and this time between pastors, I invite you to lean in to the uncomfortable, lean in to the uncertainty, lean into your questions, sit a while in this space to see what new thing God might be doing. I know it's not easy, none of us like change because change involves loss and all loss must be grieved and grief is a very difficult thing for us to do. But do what you can to try to see this unwelcome and unexpected time as a gift, as a place of creativity, of construction and deconstruction, of choice and transformation. Flannery O'Connor was touching a deep abiding truth when she wrote these words. When we get our spiritual houses in order, we'll be dead. This goes on. She writes, you arrive at enough certainty to be able to make your way, but it is making it in darkness. Don't expect faith to clear things up for you. It is trust, not certainty. It is trust, not certainty. Every generation of faithful 
are presented a time when they remember with painful clarity why they began the journey in the first place. The exiles were taught to make a home where they were, not where they longed to be. The people in the desert were told to trust in manna from heaven, not in their own competence and resources. And the disciples were given a promise of a life on the other side of death, not a promise of safety or security. And in every case, the faithful faithful were reminded that it is trust, not certainty. If it all gets taken away from us, as much of it has during the pandemic, if it all gets taken away from us, the sanctuaries, the traditions, the ministries, if we find ourselves on the top of a hill looking at endless mountain peaks, wondering how we're going to cross them with canoes on our backs, if we let ourselves be present to that moment, to that space, to those feelings, I believe we will find ourselves left with the things that cannot be taken away, not by virus or affliction or even death. And what cannot be taken away is our good shepherd and the community of faith he seeks to create. Psalm 23 reorients us not to a place or a time or a tradition or to the way things used to be. Psalm 23 reorients us to a relationship, a relationship defined by a journey with others. The only place God resides, the only place God is active and present, the only place we can experience God is in the here and the now, on the path we are currently on. You may be caught in between two pastors or between your own grief over what was and what will be. You may be standing on a ridge, staring at a future you did not expect to see, but you are not alone. You are never alone. You have God and you have one another. And as the Good Shepherd reminds us, this path we are on with all its twists and turns is a path where goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives and where our cup, our ministry, and our compassion overflows. Amen.